Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into this harvest field. May God bless the reading of his word. Welcome, and I'm excited about uh, launching into this new series, Advancing the Cause of Christ. And we actually kind of started talking about it a little bit on Wednesday night. So if, uh, if you were there, then some of this beginning stuff may be a little bit uh, repetitive. But let's just kind of first just start with the title there. What, what, is, it, what is the cause of Christ? What, what exactly are we advancing here? And, and I think that's an easy answer to come up with because, uh, well, why did he come in the first place? Why did he die? Why did he resurrect? I mean, surely the whole reason that he came, we're told, is because God so loved the world. And what mission did he leave the church except to go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey what Christ had taught us? And so we have the cause of Christ, right? And we are all charged as the body of Christ to advance the cause of Christ in our world until the day He returns. And and so, you know, that is the mission of the church. But how often uh, have we we lived up to that, you know, is is another question. And in different seasons and in different places, uh, you can can see where, where the kingdom advances, you know, more... Uh, strongly, more, uh, more quickly. In other seasons and times, it, it seems more of a struggle. And I think you know the the time and place we're in in America is a bit of a struggle. It feels like sometimes to advance the cause of Christ. Um, but Martin Luther, you know, had this had this quote: "We need to pledge ourselves anew to the cause of Christ. We must capture the spirit of the early church." He said, wherever the early Christians went, they made a triumphant witness for Christ. Whether on the village streets or in the city jails, they daringly proclaimed the good news of the gospel. Now Martin Luther was writing a few years back, as you can tell by his picture. (laughs) That's not a photograph, is it? So uh, he he lived a few years back and and he was feeling this way in his day and time. So, you know, we're, we're in good company when we stand here today and feel the same way that, man, we need to pledge ourselves anew to the cause of Christ. But now some of you are, are thinking, you know, Neil, this is a little bit clever of you here, a little bit tricky to have this nice little title, Advancing the Cause of Christ, when really this is just about evangelism and outreach, isn't it? And uh, if I would have known that, I probably wouldn't have come this morning, because uh, let's just be honest, a lot of us, that's not our favorite sermon, is it? Because when people start talking about evangelism and outreach, more often than not, they start talking about things that are just going to end up making us feel inadequate or guilty for not doing enough, for not saying enough, for not measuring up to the early church model. 
that we read about in our New Testaments. And, and if, if that's you today, you're in good company because I am right there with you, have been my whole life. When I was, uh, when I was a kid, I'd say teenage years, probably high school, uh, our church did a program, a course uh, called Contagious Christianity. And, and so I took this course, and it, it was kind of like a, I don't know, 90s <laughs> outreach program kind of thing. And what they did is they walked you through a lot of really helpful stuff. They, they taught you to write your own faith story, you know, the story of your journey of faith. And, and think about that for a second. Would you be, if someone said, what is uh, your story, you know, how did you come to faith in Christ? Would you be prepared with something to share with them about, you know, well, here's kind of my story. Uh, so it encouraged us to kind of work that out. And then it talked to us about how to share the gospel. And it even gave kind of a helpful diagram you could draw and that kind of thing. Uh, to, to walk someone through the gospel, you know. And, and it talked about, uh, you know, topics like forgiveness of sin and, uh, you know, confession and repentance and all those kinds of words that we use when we talk about the gospel. Uh, and, and you would think that by the time I was done with that class that I would have been an evangelism pro and I would have been excited to go out there and, and just start talking to people. But that was not the case. In fact, I felt a little overwhelmed. I felt a little intimidated. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to picture walking into my, uh, my high school setting and, and just, you know, find someone that uh, is unsuspecting and then just say, hey, let me tell you my story. <laughs> and while I'm at it, uh, let's, let's find a marker board so I can draw out this diagram for you and, and show you kind of how all these theological terms work. And, uh, and let me just break that down for you. And then if you've got a few more minutes, I can lead you in prayer and you can be saved today. It'll be great. <laughs> not my personality. Not something that I felt passionate about. Not something, you know, I was told that this is what I was supposed to do. This is what every Christian was supposed to do. But I didn't feel like, even though I loved the Lord and I wanted to follow Him, it just left me feeling a lot of guilt and a lot of... Uh, you know, I don't know, mixed emotions, I guess. So, I don't know if that's ever been your story. I mean, the generations before me had it worse. I can't complain. The generations before me had things like evangelism explosion. Where you went through training, and then you went out in pairs and stuff into the neighborhood around you and started knocking on doors, and people answered the door, and you said, If you died today, do you know where you'd be going? And then they invite you in for tea, because why wouldn't you invite someone in for tea that just asked you that? And, uh, and then you sit down and have a talk about their eternal destination, and hopefully uh, you know, do that whole thing with the uh, gospel presentation and the theological terms, and then you, you know... And I don't mean to knock those programs, because I do think that those programs, in many cases, have been a really good thing for a lot of people, and have doubtless led to people giving their life to the Lord... But for me, and perhaps for many of you, programs like that and teachings like that just lead to a lot of angst and guilt and, uh, and feeling like you can't ever measure up and you can't ever do everything you're supposed to do if you're supposed to be a good Christian. And then I went into ministry. And the level of pressure just went up. If I was going to be a good pastor, 
If I was going to be a good minister, then I would be, you know, out in the marketplace every day. And I'd be mixing it up with the non-Christians and I'd be doing that same thing. You know, maybe I don't ask the question, but, I, you know, like, hey, do you know where you'd go if you died today? But, you know, something to get the conversation started, download the gospel on them. You know, that's what I ought to be doing if we ever want to have an evangelistic church that's growing and so forth. I ran across a book a few years back, and uh, it really confirmed a lot of things that I've been reading in, in my Bible, and it also just helped me clarify some things in my head, and, uh, and I shared it with Julie, and we shared it with our church in Springfield some, and uh, it had a terrible title, it was called The Best Kept Secret of Christian Mission, Promoting the Gospel with More Than Our Lips. Now that... <laughs> It's a really long title, and it uh, was really not very inspiring, but it was recommended to me by, uh, in a sermon I was listening to by a guy that I respected, and, and I liked what he said about it, and so I went and read it, and the book was a lot better than the title. And, and, uh, and so what we're kind of doing is we've got this sermon series that's going to be kind of loosely based on that book, and we're going to also do some studies on this subject in, uh, on Wednesday nights that won't be really repetitive. Uh, so I'd encourage you, even if you don't, aren't normally a Wednesday nighter, come on Wednesday nights and join us for this. But my goal in this series is that you know, if you're in my camp, and, and oftentimes this subject is one that just kind of uh, turns you off or whatever, that I'm, I'm hoping this is going to be a huge encouragement to you. And that each week as you leave, you're like, oh, <laughs> there are things I can do to promote the gospel. And even when we get to that subject of what we say with our words, I think even that part of things is going to be a oh, sigh of relief as, as we explore what the Bible actually says we're all supposed to do and what the Bible says some are supposed to do. And so I'm excited about sharing this with you. And today is a perfect example because we're starting off with promoting the gospel, advancing the cause of Christ through prayer. And we can all pray. I mean, that's just you talking to God. You don't need any kind of training seminar to do that. You don't need a, a license or registration to do that. You just need to know Jesus Christ. And, uh, and He says, by His authority, in His name, we can approach the throne of God and we can pray. We can talk to Him as though He were our, our Father. And so this is something that, that should come as a relief. And it's no surprise that we start at prayer. Because most everything spiritual, most everything worthwhile starts with prayer. I don't know about your life and your story and your testimony, but I know mine starts with prayer. Before I was even born, I had people praying for me. When I was a kid, I remember sitting... I think, I don't know if it was a Sunday night service. It was an evening service. I don't know if it was Wednesday night or Sunday night or what. But I was sitting with my folks and, and the preacher was talking. And I honestly don't remember uh, much about what he said. But his hair was awesome. It was one of those, he had the white, really white hair that had like the wave. Uh, I someday want to have that hair. But, <clears throat> not yet. <laughs> but I remember sitting there and it just dawned on me, I guess the Holy Spirit that I needed not only just to go to church not only just to be a good kid I needed Christ to be my Savior 
And so I prayed without talking to anybody or anything. It started with prayer. That summer, I went to a VBS actually here at Oak Grove, Louisiana. And I remember sitting in Brother Paul Ninemeyer's office. Some of you know him. Uh, he's still going strong at <laughs> I don't even know what age. Uh, I think he has more energy than me. And uh, he's uh, kind of been interim doing interim work up at Goodwill right now. But I remember sitting in his office. He seemed old to me at the time. <laughs> he's still going strong. But when I was probably like nine and, and praying a prayer with him and some other kids. And throughout my life, uh, each each leg of the journey, each time I went deeper with God, each, you know, whether it was being called into ministry or just uh, saying, God, I, I want to be available to you. And at each step, that was prayer was at the beginning of each step, really. And your journey may not look anything like mine, but I suspect that it does probably involve prayer. And the same should be true for the church, and the same should be true for our mission of advancing the cause of Christ. And I think we're going to see as we go here that prayer is indispensable. I don't know what you think of your prayer life, but I'm going to mess with it a little bit today. We read a pretty short passage uh, by our usual standard around here today uh, that really was, is a transition. In the Gospel of Matthew, there's transitions here and there uh, where he's like changing gears. And so he puts in a few verses that kind of summarize what was going on before and kind of lead into what's coming up next. And this was one of those passages. Because in the part leading up, uh, Jesus had been doing all kinds of miracles for a few chapters. And, And so it says... At the beginning of what we read today, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. Uh, That's just a summary. It's a summary of what we had just been reading for a couple of chapters. If you read the couple of chapters that lead up to this, you'd read of Jesus healing a man with leprosy, healing a, a Roman centurion's servant long distance, healing a mother-in-law's fever and and many more. You'd read of him calming a storm, casting out demons, restoring a paralyzed man, healing a woman, raising a a little girl from the dead, restoring sight to the blind, speech to the mute. He's been busy. And and what this does right here is we're going to have a transition from Jesus-only ministry to disciples-also ministry. And so we've been reading about Jesus did this, Jesus did this, Jesus did this. And here Matthew's changing gears. And it says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And that word compassion, you know, compassion probably doesn't do it justice, they say. Scholars tell us that this is like a gut-wrenching, I mean, he felt it deeply. He was deeply moved with love for the people that were lost. That didn't know God the way He wanted them to. That didn't recognize Him as the Messiah, as the King, as their Savior. And so it says, then He said to His disciples, 
This is to all of his disciples. Now, he had a lot of disciples. We, sometimes we say the word disciples and we mean the twelve. And sometimes we mean all of them. But he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The first thing he says, out of response to his great compassion on the crowds that were lost, was to say, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. We're told that word ask is, you know, there, there's a couple different kinds of ask in Greek, which is what our Bibles are, were originally written in. And, and so there's the kind of ask that would have been like, uh, Lord, would you send out some workers into the harvest field? Thank you. <laughs> that kind of ask. And then there's a begging, pleading sort of ask. And that's what we have here. To beg, to plead with God to send out workers into the harvest field. That word workers shows up a lot in our New Testament, usually in reference to missionaries and evangelists and people that do that work. Like the work that the Apostle Paul did as he traveled all around through the Roman Empire sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Ask him to send out workers into his harvest field. Now it's interesting that that would come first. He didn't tell them all to go. He told them all to ask. He told them all to pray. And what happens right after this moment is that Jesus then sends out the twelve. He sends them out in pairs to do ministry in his name. Now, those twelve might have been a little surprised at how fast their prayer that God would send someone turned out into, uh, okay, and it's you. (laughs) And that's one of the dangerous things about praying kingdom advancing sort of prayers is that God may say, Okay, (laughs) it's you. Or, okay, I'm going to ask you to do something more than just pray. But, in this case, all the disciples were asked to pray. And and some of them were sent. So the number one thing we do, the primary task we have, the thing that is probably commanded more than anything else when it comes to all of our jobs in advancing the cause of Christ is to pray. Not to give, not to go, not to tell, not to show. (laughs) Hey, that was pretty good. Especially if you knew how little sleep I had. (laughs) To be able to rhyme like that, that's impressive today. Didn't know I had it in me. But here's the deal. The number one way to advance the cause of Christ is ever and always prayer. It's the number one way. I say the number one way because it's the number one in several ways. It's the first thing that we do. So it's the number one thing. It's also the most important thing we do. So it's the number one thing. And it's also the most talked about and commanded thing for us to do. And so it's the number one way to advance the cause of Christ. It's always going to be prayer. And so that's why we're starting there today. Now that comes as a relief. 
says, we can all do that. I mean, we, that sounds simple enough. One of the problems we have is that we don't actually want that to be the number one way. Now, we definitely don't want it to be, you know, going and telling everybody and knocking on doors and all that kind of thing. We definitely don't want it to be that. But we would rather it be something like, write a check, call it good. We'd rather it be, um, you know, hold a, a faith promise weekend once a year and call it good. We'd rather it be, you know, sponsor a child halfway around the world and, and call it good. But if we say that the number one way, the first and primary and most important way to advance the cause of Christ is prayer, then we start thinking, oh, <laughs> I, I need to, every time I, I send a check, I should be praying first. And after I send the check, I should be praying. I should, you know, not only be coming to Faith Promise Weekend, but I should be praying for the organizations and the missionaries that we're supporting through that giving. I want to talk to you about three kinds of prayer that we find in the New Testament that are cause of Christ advancing sort of prayers. Uh, three that, that we, can, we can start using this week. And, uh, you know, work on one at a time, work however you want to do it. These are not like in stone, you know, you have to say it this way kind of things. It's just kind of templates to get you started, get you thinking. And so prayer number one is the one that Jesus already taught us. Asking the Father to raise up workers to advance the cause of Christ. And like I said, it is a scary kind of prayer because you never know when you start praying that prayer if you might say, okay, and I need you to do some things. <laughs> but, but this is where we start because this is where Jesus told us to start. Because of the Father's great love, because of Jesus' great love for the world, we begin by saying, there's such a need for so many people in our community, in our nation, around the world to hear the good news of Christ. Raise up people and equip them to go and do it. There's another kind of prayer. We read a couple of examples of it in letters that Paul wrote to churches. For instance, in Ephesians, he told the church in Ephesus... Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And also this very similar one. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too. Us being the workers, you know, Paul and the, and the evangelists with him that are doing that work of carrying the gospel. Pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. I find that to be pretty interesting, what Paul asked for them to pray for. Because you would think, 
I mean, here's Paul, superstar evangelist, right? Um, I mean, probably the chief evangelist of the early church, though there were a lot of them doing really great work. And he doesn't say, pray that I get out of prison. He doesn't say, pray that I get out of these chains so I can get back to work. He says, no, I'm in these chains, but pray that, I'll, pray that God will give an open door to the gospel, that I'll have opportunities even here and now to share the message of Christ boldly. And so what we want to pray for in prayer number two is that God would provide for His workers opportunity and ability to advance the cause clearly and boldly. And again, that's kind of a mouthful. It's just to give you an idea of what kind of prayer this is. Prayer number two. With prayer number one, we say, send workers. And then once they're sent, we pray for those workers. That they would have an opportunity. That they would be bold. That they would be equipped with everything that they need to carry and push the gospel forward to advance the cause of Christ. So we don't just pray, send them, and then, oh good, God answered that prayer, we're done. Once they've been sent, we carry them to God in prayer. And we pray these kinds of prayers on their behalf. And then there's a third kind of prayer. said, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. That's all people. That's everybody. For kings and all those in authority, that we may live uh, peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. We pray in part because God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so he tells us, pray for all people. Pray for all people. And so we can pray prayers like, Father, lead those without Christ to know the truth and be saved. Make it your own. Put names with it. Put names with all these prayers. Except for maybe the first one. Don't send me, Lord. Send them. Send send that guy. He'd be great. (laughs) But on these others, we we name names and we pray prayers. We say, God, you know, the Millers are down there in Latin America. They have this huge job to try and advance the cause of Christ. And they're working with all these church planters and missionaries across Latin America. Provide everything that they need. So that they can help move the cause of Christ forward. We, we pray specific prayers for specific people. And this is the same way. Lead those without Christ to know the truth and be saved. Doubtless you know someone who you're not sure where they're at with Christ. Or, or you know, you're pretty sure that they don't want anything to do with Christ. And if you don't know anyone like that, get to know someone like that and start praying for them. Or get to know someone who knows someone like that and pray for their person. <laughs> but get busy praying, naming names, saying, God, lead these people who are without Christ to know the truth and to be saved. Three kinds of prayer. Father, raise up workers. Father, provide for those workers. And Father, lead those without Christ to know Christ. I wonder, 
you know, sometimes we talk about having a, a prayer life and cultivating a prayer life and wanting to get better at praying. And I feel like, at least in my personal experience, prayers that advance the cause of Christ are probably in one of the smallest percentages of my prayer life. Is that ever true for you? I feel like a lot of times when we, uh, I mean, you can just look at the, the back of the bulletin and you'll see a long list of physical needs, physical ailments, people who are dealing with, and we want to pray for them too. But if our prayer life is not advancing the cause of Christ, is it a prayer life at all? Jesus said, out of his deep compassion, told all of his disciples, plead with God, beg with God to send workers out because there are so many people who need to hear. There are so many people who need to know Christ. We have to work this in to our prayer life. It's the number one way that we advance the cause of Christ. I once knew a pastor named James Curtis. And I don't know if any of you ever knew him or heard of him. Um, he was fairly well known in the Church of God. And I was fortunate to call him pastor when I was a little kid for a little while. And, and then again, sort of, he was our sort of campus pastor or honorary campus pastor at, at the university that I attended when I was in college. And so I got to cross paths with him again. On occasion when I'd go to our big Church of God gathering in Anderson, I, I'd try to say hi to him, but there was always a crowd of people <laughs> that he had to wade through. Um, he was one of those you know, fiery, old-school preachers. He was a stocky guy. He'd stand up behind a big pulpit, and it wouldn't look so big with him standing behind it. And he'd kind of trick you. you know, he'd be just kind of talking to you. And then when he'd get to his big point, he'd lean into the microphone and start hollering at you. <laughs> and uh, it was like a growl. Ah! You know, it was like, ooh! You know, you, you listened up. It kept my attention as like a five-year-old, you know. I was like, woo! <laughs> but he was one of those kind of giants, pioneers of the Christian faith. I don't know. He... One of those guys that everybody looked up to. And, and one of those guys that you just assume his whole family are saints. Because he's, you know, such a great Christian. But that's not always how it works, is it? And I found out in college that his brother was not a Christian. And he had spent years and years and years praying for his brother. And one of the last, maybe the last sermon I ever heard Brother Curtis speak and preach was at a chapel at Mid-America Christian University. And it may have been one of his last sermons, period. His brother came forward and accepted Christ. And if you would think that praying bold prayers like this doesn't advance the cause of Christ. 
think again. Even when you feel like it's not making a difference. Even when you feel like I've been praying for this family member. I've been praying for this friend for years. And they just don't even seem to be hearing me. You may never see it happen, but it may happen. (laughs) The number one way we advance the cause of Christ is through prayer. And here's the deal. This is the last thing I'll share. And I heard this actually as I was kind of reviewing last night. I ran across this quote. And uh, I don't know if I have it exact, but I think it's good enough. And you may want to even write it down on the back of your card. I'll say it a couple times. Not everyone will be an expert at talking to people about the Lord. We're just not. We're not all going to be called to be evangelists. We're not all going to be called uh, to do the same stuff, right? So not everyone will be an expert at talking to people about the Lord, but everyone can be an expert at talking to the Lord about people. Not everyone will be an expert at talking to people about the Lord, but everyone can be an expert at talking to the Lord about people. The number one way we advance the cause of Christ is always prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for counting us worthy to partner in advancing the cause of Christ. We admit that too often we have neglected this primary task of prayer. So we pray that you would teach us anew what it means to pray bold, kingdom-advancing prayers. Today, together, we pray, God, that you would raise up workers to advance the cause of Christ. We pray that you would provide for the workers that you have sent, that they might declare your message effectively and boldly. And we pray, God, for those that we know who do not know the truth and do not know you as their Savior, that they would come to. We pray all these things by the authority of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.